0: Hey guys, this is Jake Blum. Welcome to our show, Quakers and Makers, the very first podcast dedicated to finding the best and brightest UPenn alumni around the country. We're going to hear their stories, successes, failures, and most importantly, the lessons they learned along the way. Without further ado, start the show. Hey everyone, how's it going? This is Jake Blum, and I'm excited to be here today with Fred Ronal. He is the Chief Technology Officer of Rubicon MD. How's it going, Fred?
1: It's going pretty well. Thanks for having me on here.
0: Of course. No, thanks for coming on the show. So for those of you that don't know you, would you mind just sharing a little bit in terms of your story and your background in Rubicon MD? Yeah,
1: that's a big one. All right, let's focus a little bit more on 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 where I am now and then, then we can figure out what else you want to touch on. So I'm working in the healthcare space and really just a quick backdrop, like starting with kind of a very personal story, my you know, my mom passed away from cancer. when I was just a little kid. So just I'm definitely. sorry to hear that. And, you know, started just always was into math and science and then studied engineering and from an undergraduate perspective and a couple jobs and never really found a passion at Intel and some other places and then uh, went to do consulting and they stuck me in healthcare and they put me in a hospital system, large academic medical center, and we were implementing Epic. It was actually the first Epic implementation at an academic medical center at a UC Davis Medical Center in California, and just fell in love and found a passion for working in the healthcare space and kind of putting my intellectual capacity work, if you will, to help improve the way that care is delivered. So from there, I'll just kind of fast forward. and go back at some point yeah. to the current role at Rubicon MD. So I'm responsible for our products team, our engineering team, our analytics team. And the core of the, what we do is we allow primary care doctors to ask a question of a specialist and any specialist. So we cover 160 plus different specialties. We allow them to ask that question, include relevant things like an EKG or an x-ray. We route that to our national network of specialists, get it answered. And usually under four hours, a lot of times average about three hours and return that to the doctor and, and really creates an incredible experience for the doctor and the patient, whereas the doctors themselves can now be able to treat. And a lot of times we're dealing with patient populations that don't have the greatest access to care, right? They might be Medicaid patients, they might be Medicare patients, elderly transportation issues. We deal with all sorts of different patient populations. And really for those doctors and patients, it gets them the ability and the information for the primary care doctors to really find like more intelligence around how they can treat their patients. And the best stat that we have is over half the time, like the information that we can get to that primary care doctor or nurse allows them to not have to send the patient to go see a specialist. So if you can think about that, it's less cost for the patient. It's an incredible improvement in time to care because they're getting answers back on their medical conditions in sometimes hours or a day, whereas it might be months until you could see a specialist in some areas and, and more costs so that part of it is awesome and then dealing with the healthcare system that we have in the us is the challenging part but hey that's why in business and it makes it fun
0: yeah awesome there's so much good stuff to unpack there so i want to spend some time speaking about about rubicon since you just kind of outlaid exactly what you guys do and i think it's obviously very timely with everything going on with COVID currently So what impact have you seen COVID have on your business? I imagine it's probably increasing significantly as people have been less likely to go physically see a doctor and want to do things more coordinated over the internet, phone, email, and so forth.
1: Yeah, it's been a really interesting balance. So I think... One side of it, exactly what you mentioned, is there's really a gigantic push in the market to move towards virtual care. And yep. patients are asking for it. They're afraid to go to doctors. They're Actually, there's kind of more need and desire. And, and from a doctor's standpoint, like how do you get some of those patients and get them more access? The flip side, though, is if you think of what COVID does from a business standpoint to a group of providers is that they were used to being kind of having patients lined up, hopefully not out the door, but at least lined up sure. and patiently seeing patient after patient right now, from that practice's standpoint, I mean, it's hard for them to have the same level of efficiency, right? And then they're not able to do the additional tests and diagnostics and and some of the other revenue streams that they're used to, right? So if they're trying to keep their entire staff online, there's a financial strain, right? So there's a pretty big financial strain for a lot of our customers. So I think we've, overall, it's definitely, don't get me wrong, it's been a net positive, but it's been more of a shift in, how do we navigate kind of a very dynamic environment right now? And in at the same time of our customers are asking us to help them, help them with other things, but that's also balanced with and, and they want to pay less for our services, right? So it's an interesting balance that we're dealing with right now.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of competing factors and interest going on. And you mentioned something when you were kind of going through Rubicon, which is the this big challenge of really tackling the medical industry. So I guess what's the biggest concern in your eyes as it relates to the health industry as a whole? And what's the one thing you're most excited about, apart from obviously what you're doing at Rubicon?
1: Yeah, I would say, and this is really a big one for us, it's really addressing some of the socioeconomic and honestly race divisions in in access to care, right? And if you think about the populations that we serve are traditionally more there are a lot more minorities there and they have more, like if you even look at COVID, right, more incidents of COVID, more likelihood for hospitalizations or deaths, right? And how do we improve our ability to actually get better access to care, right? So if you kind of go back to what are the different things we're talking in the medical industry, one of the biggest things for us is how do we create more equality in the way that care is actually delivered? And one of the ways you can do that if you do it right is through better technology solutions in improving the tools that a primary care doctor has when they're seeing their patients to treat their patients more holistically, right? So the exciting part for us is like, we know we can have an impact there. And that's the exciting part. Now, the challenging part though, is the way that the economics of our healthcare system are built. It's incredibly complex. And at the end of the day, like who really pays for our service is who's responsible for the actual cost of care, for the patient. And figuring that out, is tricky, right? Because you have potentially an insurance company who's taking on risk from the government, but then they contract with provider groups, right? So where does the risk actually lie? Who's gonna pay for the service? And the frustrating thing for us is that, universally, doctors love our service, right? They say, the ones that really get engaged with us are saying like, this changes the way I can practice medicine. But the challenge becomes, how does it get paid for right? And to provide a quality service, for a customer, like it takes just effort. It takes equity. It takes having the right follow through, which takes, you know, being able to charge for it. Right. And then finding the economic kind of ladder, if you will, in healthcare is a challenging part for us. And, and kind of climbing that back up to saying, okay, well you company or you insurer or you government are at risk. And then how do you partner and create then the right incentives for the doctor to actually have the time to use our, field? that's the challenge for us.
0: Yeah, and it sounds like a big one to challenge or to solve, but it's really important. And I think you bring up a really valuable point, which is that there are so many differences in different communities, different geographies around our country. And certainly, you could argue that healthcare is one of the biggest ones, if not the biggest ones. I mean, what's more important than our health? And so... I think it's awesome that you and the team at Rubicon are making strides to tackle this and also doing it in a way that is forward-thinking, right? It's really leveraging the new technological world that we live in, in order to make care more accessible, more affordable, and more efficient in kind of doing some things virtually that people maybe had to drive near or far in order to get prior. That's so, you
1: like can have you as a sales guy for us. It's awesome. All right.
0: yeah. <laughs> Perfect. No, I think it's a really good story. And a lot of the focus of this podcast, Fred is people who are making some sort of positive impact in a community. And so I think it's great that you're doing that. So I want to take a step back for a second and really get to know you a little bit better as a person and really kind of hear about your journey. I know you went to Penn for graduate school. So yeah, just kind of what was going to grad school like? What impact did Penn have on your life and your career? And how did it ultimately lead you to Rubicon?
1: It was really interesting for me is coming out of consulting, kind of everybody ended up going to business school, you know, if you're in the the management track. I actually joined consulting a little bit later in my career. So I was kind of sure. on the fence of, of if hey you had to go back or not. But just ultimately for me, I saw it as an opportunity to really expand my skill set as an engineer. I saw it as the opportunity to kind of get a broader exposure to different industries, to different opportunities. And that's what I was looking for. I would say going to University of Arizona State School undergraduate versus Penn Ivy League graduate school like the Differences were very stark in just the amount of interest you get from the external companies, right? I mean, the interest in companies that are coming and are recruiting, and the amount of speakers, and just the influence you get to different organizations, different leaders, seeing how they're thinking was just that. That was kind of the 90-day difference between undergraduate to graduate, and what I was looking for, and it worked great. And then the other thing too is just the Wharton is very unique from an MBA school perspective is that we have a cohort of specifically healthcare-focused people in there, 60 to 70, 80, I don't know how many is uh, every year. And just being able to learn and grow from other people and other experiences were awesome. Right? I mean, that to me was just really uh, helped me evolve and grow as a leader more than anything over those years and then kind of set me up for a future to keep growing from there.
0: Yeah. And so it sounds like the benefit of going to Penn was really twofold. One was access not only to companies who are coming and recruiting, but also just the people that you're interacting with, right? Whether it's people that you're you know are coming in to do, teach a class or have a discussion or whatever it might be. And then the other part is obviously the network. And it sounds like you built some really strong relationships. And I'm sure some of those are with you today still. And then you mentioned something that I think is really interesting, which is this idea that it allowed you to grow and evolve as a leader. So come this far in your career, what are some of the key lessons that you've learned as a leader and what are some of the key mistakes you've made along the way?
1: I think that the key lessons for me are, from what I've seen, is the ability to go take on risks. And Sure it can be hard, right? I mean, my first job out of and was working at McKesson, who was a great company to work for. And I spent close to eight years there and in lots of different roles. But ultimately, what then really started to accelerate my career even faster was taking a risk to go leave. I mean, I left there to go help found a startup in Denver. We burned out of cash in less than a year. And it honestly just didn't work out. And then that Forced me to get into my next role, which was at Cigna, which is a large insurer. And from there, I only lasted about a year and a half. And now I'm in this role. So, I, as much as I feel like it's like not stable and job hopping, and my family kind of questions me moving them from San Francisco to Denver to New York. From a career perspective, it's taking those risks are if they make sense, right? Is really right. valuable, right? And I think especially in a more entrepreneurial type environment where you're trying to go disrupt and create change in the healthcare system. You need that at startups. You need somebody who's willing to go put their foot out there and be wrong sometimes and be right sometimes. So I think that growth period has probably been more over the last three years growing than my first eight years staying at McKesson, which was a great experience. Don't get me wrong. And I, I love the company and the people there. It just, it it really accelerated that. The flip side, the lessons learned of oh, yeah. what would you do differently? How would you yes that's always tough. I think as much as job changes can be hard, who you're working for is incredibly important. And just knowing that the relationships you can have and the kind of manager you're going to have is someone that is going to help you grow. I think at certain points, I stagnated in my career at McKesson because I was not working for leaders who are allowing me to grow and who are giving me that opportunity to do it. At certain points I've been working for people that really have, have helped me accelerate my career. And I think honestly actively finding those things out and finding those people out are as important as finding the right role in the right job because industries are going to change, environments are going to change, but if you have people that are going to help support you in your growth, it's so much more important than, hey, am I going to make an extra five K at this job versus that job? Or is that job have a little bit better title? And I think all of that. Sometimes people get too wrapped up in those things and not thinking of like, what are the people that are around me and what sort of an environment are they creating and how successful have they been at growing other leaders, right? And is there a track record there? And if you read a lot of the stories of people that have gotten to the positions that they are, there's usually one or two mentors that they're always going to point to along the way of like how those people helped accelerate their career. And I think trying to find that can be just as important as some of those other
0: things. Yeah, I think that's so key. And you're not the first person to give that advice who I've had on the show. It seems to be a theme that, especially for people earlier in their careers, the advice tends to be who you work for And the environment you work in is ultimately much more important than what you do, right? Especially for someone young, you've got plenty of time to figure it out and try different things. And so surrounding yourselves with great people and people who are going to support you and lead you. I had a follow-up question, which you somewhat answered. My follow-up question was going to be, what are some things you look for in a leader in order to discern, is this the right person for me to lead me? And I think one of them you had mentioned was what's their track record, right? Who else have they helped come up through the ranks? are there any other qualities that you think are necessary or bode well for someone who is ultimately mentoring in a managerial type role?
1: Yeah. And you don't always get that. Like my current boss is a first time CEO, entrepreneur, you know, knock on wood, it's been working out great. I I love working for him. So you got to be careful. Like you're not always going to get everything you wish for. But I do think my biggest one is... Are you creating a team-based culture in like, hey, we're going to attack problems together? It's kind of like management one-on-one, and it's hard to flush out in an interview, but like, are you going to be somebody who's assigning blame to things and one who's not just attacking problems? That to me is one. And I think seeing a leader who's mature enough to know their strengths and weaknesses and to say hey, this is what I'm good at and I don't need help here, but this is what I'm not good at. And therefore I do need help in these areas. And like somebody who's willing to help find that out and saying like, hey, if I'm plugging a hole, am I just plugging another hole that you're good at? So you just want to, you can manage it or am I bringing something different to the team, right? And if you think about that and think about the environment you're going into is like, what does that team look like? And is it balanced, right? Is there Diversity and opinion and thought on the team. Are you bringing something unique and different and talented where you're going to be able to shine? Versus, are you going in into an environment where five people all have of similar skill sets and it's just going to be a battle to who can get out there to the top, right? And then the reality is you can't always pick what you want, right? But I mean, trying to through yeah. that balance. And I know you kind of asked on a leader, but I would think then more is it the maturity of the leader to be thinking through these things and is that reflected in their organization? And then the other thing and I'm a huge believer in is that there's very little thing such as culture or values that you can prescribe for an organization and it's 100% inherited by the leadership within the organization, right? Those values that they demonstrate, the ethics that they demonstrate are going to be seen over time within the people in the organization. So what do the people look like that are attracted to that type of a company and environment. You know, those are the kind of people that you think you can work well with and grow and learn from.
0: Yeah, there's so many great nuggets in there. And and I think what it really boils down to, at least what it seems like from my perspective is someone who is experienced, knowledgeable, talented, but also someone who is vulnerable, right? Someone who can admit, this is where I'm good. This is where I'm not as good. And more than that, communicate that to the people they work with, right? I think, you know, another key point I heard in what you said is not only just saying, hey, this is what I'm not good at, but if a manager or leader is going to ask someone else to do something, right? Explaining why, It makes sense for that person to do it versus themselves or someone else on the team. And so I think there's so many good takeaways for anyone who's listening, who's trying to determine, are they in the right culture? Are they not in the right culture? And there's certainly plenty of awesome opportunities out there. So yeah, that's pretty much coming up on our time. Uh, Fred, I, I really appreciate you coming on the show. And then the last thing, if anyone wants to reach you to learn more about Rubicon or partnerships or anything of that nature, what would be the best way for them to contact you?
1: Yeah, honestly, just find me on LinkedIn. I'm Fred Ronnell, R-O-N-N-A-U. I think I'm the only one out there. Definitely the only one. MD. Yeah, so reach out to me directly through that. It's probably the easiest way. I'm pretty good about it.
0: Awesome. Thanks again for coming on and we'll hope to see you back sometime soon. All right, appreciate it. This podcast has been brought to you by me, Jake Blum, a fellow UPenn alum and financial advisor. Until next time, be well. We'll see you then.